Well, good morning. morning. It is good to see you. I, as you mentioned, we're from Fort Lauderdale, so just the same. Uh, we're used to snows a little bit different down there than it is up here. But uh, I, I did not grow up in the church. I, I grew up uh, nominally Catholic, uh, came to Christ. I was actually in the, in the music business for a while. Uh, some of uh, some of the guys last night, I had mentioned that the guy who took my place in my band is somebody named Johnny Depp. I don't know what happened to him after that, but but I had a great career in ministry. Um, and and around that time when uh, my group was recording their album, God had different plans for my life, and He called me into into His service. And we went into immediately. I got into uh, homeless ministry in inner city Miami, and then uh, that led to maximum security prison ministry, which uh, led to me taking a position in a church, which led to me having to preach sometimes because it was a small church. And so we, uh, we heard the call of God to, to take a church in New England. And uh, like Rich said, we spent 17 years there. God really, really blessed that church. It's amazing uh, how, how similar the layouts for the church I pastored in Connecticut and this church are. They're, they're almost identical. I could show you pictures and people say, what do you have, a type? Uh, but um, one of the things that, and I just want to commend your leadership team because uh, I have been so impressed. They've, they've let me know repeatedly, they're like, hey, this is all new to us. And I'm like, you never want to be in a church where they say, oh, don't worry, we've, we've selected quite a few pastors. Uh, <laughs> so so that, that would be problematic. But I have, I've just been so impressed because one of the things they have communicated to me is that they are looking and they really, they sense the Spirit of God about to do something new in Praise Fellowship. And so what they have said repeatedly is we're, we, we honor the, the seasons we've been through, but we're looking for a leader for the season that God is leading us into. And that, that just really uh, kind of perked up my ears. And I want to share with you a, a scripture today in Genesis 8. And go ahead and leave your Bibles open if you have them. I, I'll, I'll put the initial one up on the screen, but I'm going to read some more text. So if you brought your Bible or you have it on your phone or what have you, uh, go ahead and leave that open to Genesis chapter 8. One of the things that I'm aware of, and, and it was mentioned this morning even as we prayed, is that every Old Testament story has a New Testament application. God, God didn't just put something there for historical reference. But there is New Testament truth for us to be gleaned. What we have to make sure, though, is we're on the same page. So I, I want you to understand that I'm not simply sharing kind of an ancient historical story, but some biblical truth. It's kind of like the, the, the guys that went out hunting and one of his friends, you know, he shot his other friend thinking he was a deer. So he runs back to his truck. He gets the phone and he says, y y you need to send a coroner because I've killed my friend. He said, you've killed your friend. He said, I'm pretty sure he's dead. He's pretty sure it's different between ambulance and coroner. Are you pretty sure he's dead or are you sure he's dead? She said, I'm pretty sure. He said, sir, you need to make sure. So he puts the phone down. He runs over. The operator hears, bang. And he comes back and he says, okay, I'm sure. <laughs> that didn't really happen. It's an illustration. Somebody's, somebody's panicking. All right, Genesis 8.15 says, Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of men, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. 
and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just love you today. We honor you and we welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. We want only what you would speak to be communicated, Lord, nothing more, nothing less. Father, right now there are radio waves and television waves passing through our bodies. We're not even aware of them, Lord, but there's only one signal we need to receive, and that is the word of the Holy, from the Holy Spirit. Let he who hears, hears what has ears, hears what the Holy Spirit saith unto the church today. And so, Father God, that would be our prayer, Father, that your spirit have liberty in this place to speak to your people, to shape your people, to move us more deeply into relationship and service of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, Jesus relates to this, uh, this passage uh, to eschatology, the end times, the, the, his return, the study of what is, to, what is to be. But to, in order to really understand this application, we need to understand its setting. Like I said, all Old Testament stories have a New Testament application. So the setting here is threefold. Number one is God's judgment of sin. I know that's not popular anymore, but God is still a holy God. And so we see God's judgment of sin. We see also the manner in which his people experienced that judgment compared to the world around them. And third, we see what his people did in response to and on the other side of the activity of God. Now, two of the three dynamics deal specifically with his people, how the storm was the catalyst for the greater knowledge of him. And sometimes we can miss the revelation of God because we do everything in our power to avoid the storm. But the truth is that there is knowledge of God that is only known through difficulties. Right. How many know that Jesus will sometimes put us through storms without consulting us for our approval? <laughs> I think of Jesus allowing his disciples to fight the storm for hours. He could have walked out on that lake at any time. He allowed them to fight it, that storm, for hours until he walked toward them. I think of the three Hebrew young men in the fire, but one like the Son of God was with them. In like manner, none of us would have prayed for the storm we've been through the past couple of years. None of us would have anticipated the tsunami that hit the local church. Thousands of churches will never reopen in the United States because of what we've been through in the last couple of years. So, no, we may not be able to avoid the storm, but the issue is, do I know Jesus better on the other side of the storm? And that's really what I want to talk with you today. We're all looking at a changed landscape and a changed world and a changed church. We know that it prefigures the return of Jesus. We wonder what God is going to do. Uh, but what was happening before God judged the world in Genesis chapter 8 is that Noah was both walking and working in obedience in preparation for what God was about to do. Now, we can all say, hey, God's fixing to do something. We can talk all we want to about Jesus Christ returning. But unless we're engaged in the activity that God would have his people to be engaged in, we cannot say we're truly walking in faith. So the question isn't, what is God about to do? The better question is, what should we, his people, be doing in anticipation of what God is about to do? And this passage gives us the blueprint for our activity in this generation. So this morning, I want to walk you through four steps, four stages of obedience that Genesis chapter 8 reveals to us in order that we can know what Jesus, or we can do what Jesus would have us to do as we come out the other end, we've all been through a storm. We all know that God's going to do something different. Look, I sometimes say, man, it would be nice if we could get back to normal, right? It would be nice if things were, were the way they were, but they're not. We, we, we're seeing pastors that are just quitting the ministry altogether. We're seeing people that have never come back to church. And, and, and it's easy to say, well, you know, hey, God is pruning, right? 
Well, you know, that's true, but there's a lot of people that love Jesus that are getting hurt in the process. And we're called to be the church. We're called to engage in the activity of God. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you know that God gives Noah the blueprint for the ark, but you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't build the ark. Noah spent nearly 15% of his entire life building the ark, working in preparation for what God was about to do, meaning the design is divine, but the activity is human. Some of us, we need to move beyond the idea that all God does is kind of ask us to endure, simply keep, in, keep doing our church stuff until Jesus comes. Not only did Noah invest that much time in building, think about this. He paid for the construction of the ark out of his own resources. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if this is going to be, get me stuff thrown at me or what. We need to be invested in that which is going to save us. You know, 80% of church kids leave the church when they get to be a young adult. 80%. For pastors, it's 90%. Because we get turned off. We get disconnected. We see all, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, how we, how we counter that. But one thing I have learned in 20 plus years of pastoring is that we need to be invested in that which is going to save us and our children and our loved ones. Look, there's a whole other sermon there. I'm not going to go into there. But there are those who that we struggle with faithfully giving, faithfully attending church, serving according to our giftedness because we haven't absorbed that truth. God is requiring us to be invested in that which is going to save us. God didn't just build the boat and tell Noah, get in. That's the, that is the mentality of a lot of this generation. The church is just sort of there. We have to climb aboard, but perhaps never more in the church's history has God required our investment in that which is going to save us. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I put up a post on my, my Facebook page just saying, you know what, the, the easiest thing that we can do in, in light of all these churches closing, in light of all these, these pastors getting frustrated, the easiest thing we can do, the, the lowest hanging fruit is show up on Sunday to church. It's the easiest thing we can do. And you know who got maddest at me? It's the people I used to pastor. What wasn't unbelievers. People I used to pastor that have gotten disconnected. And, and I get that, that sometimes when somebody kind of pokes that bear, you, you get upset. But it's like, it, it's amazing. I can be preaching you know, a, a half an hour, and man, this does the anointing. But as soon as I hit your sin, well, there goes the glory. <laughs> and, and that's the side. Let me let me get to these. Let me get to these stages. The first one that I see, the first stage is build the boat, and this speaks to us, like I said, of the investment or, or the active investment in preparation. It indicates our response to what God has revealed to us. I want to share with something, something with you that you might not hear from people trying to get in your wallets, but it's 100% biblical truth. If I said to you, I, I actually had a woman come into my church once, and she was a pastor's wife, and she was engaged in an affair with a married man. They said they were believing that God was going to kill their spouses so that they could be together. I hope we are all in agreement that that is a misdefinition of faith, right? See, sometimes we believe faith is what we want, or we confuse faith and hope. It's something I hope for. And if I could just <clears throat> enough that I can get what I want, let me tell you what faith is. Faith is our response to the revelation of God. Very simple. You go to Hebrews 11, which is the Heroes Hall of Fame, and this story is included. By faith, Noah. God spoke, 
Man responds. By faith, Moses. Moses didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to lead the people. God said, go and go back into Egypt and lead my people out. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. You know, Joshua didn't just say, you know, I think I'm just going to march around the build the, these walls a bunch of times and see if that falls. You tried that. My kids used to love Veggie Tales. <laughs> and and y'all, some of y'all know the French peas episode. And the French peas are mock. Oh, yeah, you keep walking around the wall. That's a really great idea, right? That didn't come from man. God said, you do it, and I'll knock down the wall, right? And, and Hebrews 11 gives illustration after, by faith, Abraham. Abraham didn't say, you know, I think I'm going to take my son up the mountain and sacrifice him. Faith is our response to the revelation of God. So if I say to you, hey, I'm going to come cut your lawn, I'm really generous right now, right? But, but if I said to you in June, hey, I'm going to come, come cut your lawn, and you, and you believe that, and even though it started growing and your neighbor said, hey, you're going to cut your lawn, and you say, you know what? Dave said he was going to come cut my lawn. That's faith. Now, if you just say, you know what? I don't want to cut my lawn. I'm going to believe that Dave's going to come cut my lawn. Keep believing. <laughs> Keep believing. The, question, the first question we all have to ask is, Corporately, as a gathered assembly of people, what is God calling us to be in the next season? Faith is walking that out. Now, individually, he's going to give us specific calls on how that's done, but they're all going to be aligned with his vision. Relationship with God is predicated on the idea that he will speak. He will speak. Let me tell you what. God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I think in the time of Samuel where it says the word of the Lord was rare, it wasn't rare because God had laryngitis. It was rare because his people were not drawing near to him to listen. I believe in wonders. I believe in miracles. I believe in the gifts of God operating. You know what I don't believe? I don't believe that we can just take and do what we want because if we could, why not just go into the hospital and heal everybody, right? We have to be operating under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. To, until we have established that Jesus Christ is Lord over everything we do, then nothing we do matters. So we need to build the boat. The second truth is we need to get in the boat. It speaks of fulfilling Second uh, Peter chapter 1, where, where Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, so you don't just get there and arrive, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to continue in that in a minute. But what Peter is speaking of here is moving into, he, he also says later on, make your calling and election sure. Now think about that. Shouldn't that say... Make your election and your calling sure? Wouldn't you think like, because your election has to do with your salvation. And, and we thinking in linear time think, well, okay, I'm get, I get saved and, and then I get my call. Understand something. You were created for that call. That call existed and God spoke you into being to meet that call. So it is not just enough to be saved. I'm going to be saved and go to church and shout and, 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 and run around and everything else. I'm going to fulfill the purpose for which God spoke me into existence and placed me on this earth and I'm going to serve him. And so it's like I say, it's not enough 
to just know about the Ark of Salvation. It's not enough to just know about the boat. It's not enough to know somebody in the boat. You got to get in the boat. The boat is the church of Jesus. I want you to think about something. There was nothing. Some people say, well, you know, I don't need the church to be a good Christian. Okay, and I've, I've heard that said. There was nothing on this earth that was not here after Jesus came and rose except the church. He didn't leave behind a business. He didn't leave behind children. He didn't leave behind a bank account. The only thing that wasn't on the earth when Jesus came that was when he left was his church. And there's only one thing he's coming back for. His church, his bride. So it's not enough to just know about it. It's not enough to just affirm it. It's not enough to applaud it. I knew a guy who used to send like about 30 kids to youth camp every year. Wasn't a Christian because he thought, you know, if I just invest a little bit, if I give some money. Well, I, I was hoping he'd get saved not too soon because I figured once he got saved, he'd stop doing it. But the truth was he eventually did get saved. This man was a very wealthy man, but he was a rough kind of character. Uh, he had built his build business in unscrupulous ways, and uh, he used to build houses, and he would kind of boast that every third house he built for free because he overcharged in materials to the first two. Gave his life to the Lord, came into my office one day, laid a check for $100,000 on my desk. And he said, Pastor, I get something now. There is a real kingdom that's going to be coming, and I want to be a part of that. <laughs> he got it. He understood and so we have to recognize that we need to get on board with what Jesus Christ is doing. See, being saved doesn't mean you don't go through the storm. It means you go through the storm inside of God's protective providence. I think about the, old, uh, the, the three arcs in the Old Testament. There was the ark that Moses was placed into. There was the ark we just looked at. And then there was the ark of the covenant. Each was designed to preserve that which was inside of it. Our day and age, we have the ark of salvation that is the church. So it's not enough to simply, I'm going to occasionally attend. We need to get on board with what the Lord is doing. The first two arcs were made of wood and sealed with pitch. The, the, the third was made of wood and covered in gold. But the ark of our salvation was also started in wood, the cross, but sealed with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. There was only one entranceway each there wasn't a back door to the to the ark there wasn't a second door to for for moses's ark there wasn't a, a another place to get to the the things that were inside the ark of the covenant and like we just talked about jesus said i am the way the truth the life and nobody comes to the father but by me now c.s lewis said let's have none of this business about jesus being a good moral teacher he cannot be he cannot simply be a good moral teacher. He is either the Lord, he is a liar, or he is a lunatic. Because if he is not who he claimed to be, and he made this extraordinary claim, can you imagine somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, look, I am the way, not a way. I am the way. I am the, I am the embodiment of truth. I, I'm not simply a liar. I am the life. As he told in front of Lazarus's tomb, as he said in front of Lazarus's tomb, I am the resurrection. Not just I will be resurrected. I am the embodiment of the resurrection. And so if Jesus said that and knew it was false, then he cannot be who he claimed to be. 
He would have to be a liar. If he believed it and wasn't, C.S. Lewis said he would be a lunatic on par with somebody who believed himself to be a poached egg. He would just be crazy. The only thing we're left with is that he is Lord. It speaks, the third truth speaks of the process or completing the process. Stay in the boat. <laughs> I know it's something sometimes to jump ship, and I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying I'm talking to somebody. Till the work of deliverance has been accomplished, you need to stay in the boat. Ephesians 4 speaks of that God gave some to the church to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. This speaks of the work of the church in our lives. Why? For the work of ministry. See, just like we read in Genesis chapter 8, Noah, get your family, get all these animals onto the boat. Why? So that they can multiply. This is, this is the process by which I am creating something new out of what is going to be destroyed. And you need to stay in the boat until God says the process is complete. So four times Noah sends out birds to see if the earth has dried up, a raven and then a dove three times. And don't miss this. Even after Noah determines the earth is dry, he does not leave the ark. Genesis 8.10 says he waited seven more days and then sent out a dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. Great, so kick open the doors and go out, right? Verse 12, he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. So great, okay, now I can kick. Nope. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. I don't want you to miss this because like I said, our initial passage that we read began, begins in verse 15. So in verse 13, Noah sees, but in verse 15, then God said, then God said. So he waited for direction. Years ago, I did a study on the life of David. And if you go back into 1st and 2nd uh, uh, Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and you study the life of David, you see an interesting pattern develop. You'll see where David, the Bible says, then David thought to himself, and bad things happen. He ends up in Gath with spit dripping down his beard. But when the passage begins, then, the, then David sought the Lord, blessings happen. When we listen to the voice of God and we wait for, sometimes we assume and we deduce based on our abs, uh, observation. Let me tell you what, Noah was in the ark 12 months. There was all that stink. There was no personal space. You didn't just go, I'm going to go in my room and play on my iPad. Some of y'all can't take three days with your family at Christmas time. Think of that mess in the ark over 12 months. It didn't smell good. There was manure. The only problem was there's not another ark. See, the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus is feeding them, and he's feeding a crowd of 5,000, and they're all happy to get the food. But Jesus begins to give them a hard teaching, and they all disappear. Now, imagine if you're a megachurch pastor, and you're pastoring 5,000, 10,000 people, and you preach a sermon, and they all leave. You probably preached it right, to be honest with you. Jesus doesn't panic. He doesn't say, you know, guys, we can rebuild. We still got our facilities. I've got my leadership team. You know what he does? He turns and he says to them, you want to leave too? You want to leave too? And I love what Peter says because Peter's usually, you know, speak first, think later. But Peter says, Lord, 
to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Let me warn you something. The longer you stay in the church, the more you're going to be aware of the mess. There is always mess. There always will be mess. But understand something. The church is filled with people in the process of being changed, not with people who have already been made perfect. Now, let me give you the other side of that. Because I remember, and I, I you know, we, I pastored, and, and I've pastored some weird people. I'm just going to be real with you. I pastored a lady that about every, every, every Sunday in about the second song, she was sitting right about here in this second row. And she would start saying Jesus, but not in a praising way. Like a serial killer was chasing her kind of way. And it was terrifying. We had another woman that used to moan like a banshee. And it would freak people out. I had a guy who ever, and, and we had our downstairs kids church as well. And, and so we had a wood floor. And I had a guy, if, if he came down, and every week he'd come down for prayer. And as soon as I, I could even pretend to touch him, and he'd drop, and boom. And I'm thinking, more, these kids think there's a body dropping. Every, it's Ananias and Sapphira every week. These poor kids are going to be traumatized. If people walk out of church thinking more about you than Jesus... <laughs> there's something needs to change because our worship should point people to Jesus. Our testimonies are great and our testimonies are important, but our worship and the way we respond to God should always point people to Jesus. And I've seen so many times where people will get caught up in, in their own. I remember a woman in my first church, Greater, Greater Miami Church of God, and she was just dancing, quote unquote, in the spirit, a large woman. She just keeps smacking into people. And there was an elderly woman, very frail, trying to kneel and pray. And somebody's basically mosh-pitting into her constantly. That's not the Lord. You may love Jesus, but Jesus is not calling you to turn the attention to you. But like I said, there's always going to be mess. And we can, we can get you know, so focused on that stuff. Look, the, the mess Noah walked out of, <laughs> man... See, see, that speaks to the fourth truth, and that's we got to, at, at some point, get out of the boat. Now, that, that, that doesn't leave, mean leaving salvation, doesn't mean leaving the church, but it indicates that once the purpose of the ark has been completed, we need to move forward in doing that which God delivered us to do. Let me tell you something. I, I, you may never have me back, but I promise you this. The reputation of praise fellowship should be more about what happens out there than what happens in here. If what we do in here doesn't make us servants of God out there, then we're not, we, we might be calling it God stuff all day long, but that's why the Lord says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, in other words, church stuff to equip the saints. Why? For the work of ministry, that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. Recognize something, God was going to repopulate the earth through Noah and his family and through the species that had been in the ark. Civilization needed to be rebuilt. God was calling Noah to move into a new season of obedience. But before Noah engaged in that, he did something all on his own. With all that needed to be accomplished, the first thing Noah does, does when he gets off the boat is he builds an altar. He had been building for 120 years. Man, I would have been done. I would have been so over that. I would have been, I never want to see another hammer and nail in my life. And yet the first thing he does is he builds an altar. The ark was built by command. The, the altar was built by desire. 
See, God gives us the plan of salvation. God gives us the tools we need like we just looked at in Ephesians. God stays with us, promises us his presence. He gives us his power and he gives us deliverance of the midst of the storm. But it's up to you and I to supply the obedience and the worship. We need to supply the obedience and the worship. We see what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. We see the picture of his bloodied and bruised body pierced for us. We see Jesus showing himself to more than 500 people after his resurrection so that we could have assurance of the sufficiency of his power to deliver us from the judgment coming upon the earth. But what God wants to do is supply our worship. We have to give that to him. And it has to be the overflow of our heart. That's what the Lord said. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See... When I began to talk with, with the elders here at the church, I said, let me tell you, I, I've been a de denominational official in, in the Church of God, which is the oldest Pentecostal denomination uh, in the world. I, I've spoken in Church of God Church, Independent Church, Assemblies of God Churches. And, and so I, I understand the way church works, and, and, and I understand, you know, being on the boat. What I have seen, though, is that sometimes we want to, to kind of come into the church and then say to God, okay, God, that kind of like hit me, right? In the Psalms, what you see is a group of songs that, that you, you read. They're a song of ascents. Let me tell you what those are. Those are songs to sing on the way to church. So that by the time you got to church, see, the temple was on the top of a hill. And so you would leave your house and you'd walk out the door. And, and you'd get maybe to the end of your street. Nobody had cars, nobody had you know, buggies or whatever. People would be walking up to the temple, especially on feast days. And so you would join. Hey, Bob. Hey, Mike. Good to see you. And you'd join two or three. And then you'd get around another corner. And, you just, and, and David talks about going up the hill with the great throng by the time. And they're singing praise before they even get there. They have already saturated the atmosphere with their worship. So let me tell you what. Do you ever wonder why you get in fights before church? You ever wonder, why, man, why is nothing going right? Because the last thing the enemy wants you to do is enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. He wants us to get in and say, oh, the praise team just better play that song I like this week. Right? We sit there like critics. Right? Mm, I don't like that song. That's not my fair. I need them to do this one, and I wish they would do that one. And meanwhile, we're robbing God of the praise that's due him. I don't care if I know the song. I know the one the song's about. <laughs> and he is worthy of the praise. So even if I got to learn the song, I'm going to sing unto the Lord a new song. I love some of the old songs. Man, I cut my teeth on that little, little rural Pentecostal church, cut my teeth on the old redback hymnal. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But I want to sing to the Lord. It, you know what? You start singing, and it's about the Jesus that saved me. I want to I get involved in that. See, the, I think about the mess Noah walked out of. Oh, and, and then the mess he walks in. Think of all the bodies on the ground. And the first thing he had to think is, but for the grace of God, that'd be me. That'd be my babies on the ground. So praise comes from two places. It comes from the place of what God brought you out of. But it comes in preparation for what you need to do next. Noah knew there was a big job ahead. The earth has been wiped out. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to worship. I'm going to build an altar to the Lord and I'm going to worship. Let me get, get real with you here. That passage I read earlier that, uh, and talked about before uh, in, in, in 2 Peter. Peter says in 2 Peter 1 that whoever does not have these qualities in verse 9 is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed 
from their past sins. See, you, you notice what he said. He didn't say they never were saved. He didn't say they never knew the Lord. He says we can get to the place where it becomes old hat, where church just becomes routine. If you haven't been delivered, I wouldn't expect you to, to worship. I, some of the, one of the scariest things that I've seen happen in the church in the last 20 years is we see people that come in and they kind of learn the vernacular and they learn the songs and all that. And, and after a while, we just assume they're Christians. And they've never had a born-again experience. They've never been reborn in the Spirit. And so we just take, I had a friend, and he was a brilliant guy. He's a scientist at MIT. He was in my church in Massachusetts. His wife had been Jewish. She got saved. And her and her, the kids started coming to the church. One Mother's Day, her husband shows up. Now, he had gone to an Assemblies of God church for, for a number of years with them. But one day he says, you know what? I, I can't pretend anymore. I don't believe this stuff. And, and I'm not going to church anymore. So she starts coming to our church. And one day on Mother's Day, he walks in the door. You know what she said to me? He won't be back. He's just nosy. He just wants to see where we're going to church. He never left. And he would come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Now, let me tell you something. You would think, man, that's a, that's, that's a great testimony. He's, he began to believe, but not surrender. He would say the prayer up to, Lord, I give you my life, right? He would sing the songs, but there was no abandonment. And I never confused as a pastor that just because he was a church go, he would even be in church when his wife and kids were like out of town on a youth routine. He'd be there. I did not confuse that with somebody being born again. Now, my feeling was you take all the time. Jesus said, consider the cost. Take all the time you need. We're going to welcome you. We're going to love you. And the church should be a place where no matter. I, I was there was a, a dude walked in our church. I could not tell if that was a man or a woman. I was talking. I just could not tell. And his name was Chris. That didn't help me. But if you go on our Facebook page, struggling with homosexuality, struggling with drug addiction, the review he left, these people love me. They treated me so well. See, you're somebody, my pastor, just went, my first pastor, he went to be with the Lord just a, a couple of months back. And he's still the guy I hope I'm, I am when I grow up. Um, he, he, big guy from Georgia, he's about 6'4", you know, 200, kind of like me. Um, intimidating physical specimen. I know I scare some people. But, um, but I remember walking, my wife and I were walking uh, a few years ago. The denomination had their biennial assembly at the uh, RCA Dome where the Colts play. And I ran into him there. And uh, all of these people, these Caribbean folks, African-American folks that were he had been their overseer in Trinidad and Tobago, just coming up and loving him. When I walked into his church, I had long blonde hair down to here, spray-painted white jeans. And you know what he saw? Somebody that Jesus hung on the cross for. He, that's the, and that's why I'm here today. Praise Fellowship, there's a lot of people in churches today and we're given perfunctory acknowledgement to what Jesus has done for us. They think if we acknowledge the means of salvation, that'll be sufficient to save us. It won't. The only way to be saved, as it always has been, is to be inside the ark when the judgment of God arrives. Awareness doesn't do, admiration won't su suffice, only being sealed inside. I see a lot of people today, they're admirers of Jesus, they're fans of Jesus, but they're not followers of Jesus. 
And it breaks my heart because let me tell you something. If I do end up landing here, I'm going to do everything I can to make every person that I minister to end up in heaven. Because, see, I want to get there and I want to open my eyes, whether it's through the rapture of the grave and see the people I've led. We made it. We're here. Hugging, jumping, dancing, celebrating, falling into the arms of Jesus. Well done. You know, the Bible talks about people who barely make it in as through escaping through the flames. Man, I don't want anybody I lead. to. You get up there and, and the Lord's like, mm, I guess. <laughs> Man, sometimes I feel like that's the way I'm going to get in. And the psalmist says, better to be a gatekeeper. You know who the gatekeeper was? The gatekeeper was the last person on the inside. You'd be the doorkeeper. And you'd open the doors for everybody coming in. You'd, call, you'd pull them close. So you were the last person inside in the room. But you were still inside. And the psalmist says, better to be. that." And we sing that song. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. Better to be a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to live among the tents of the wicked. And what that implies is people who have all the earthly means, they're wealthy, they feast. They have all the things that the world wants. Better to be in the last spot in heaven. Paul talks about that. He says, I don't run the race aimlessly. He said, I beat my body, I make it my slave so that I'm not disqualified. And he's using this imagery of the sporting event in the Roman world. Now, you and I know that heaven is limitless. There's this place for everybody that God has ever created in heaven. But Paul said, run to win the race. And you know what that means? Run your race, walk your walk like there's one spot left in heaven. Right? Like there's one spot left in heaven. That's the way we should be living. Not to presume upon the grace of God. I want to share one more scripture and and we're going to close down. But Jesus says this. Or, or, or John says this about Jesus, and it's in Revelation 21. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God, will, God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more mourning or death or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I make all things new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this. I will be his God. He will be my child. God is right now creating a new heaven and a new earth unaffected by our rebellion, unstained by our sin. He knew we weren't capable of living in that world. And so he provided by his spirit, by his word and by his body, the means by which we're transformed and be be made to be able to experience it eternally. No more aging, no more separation, no more sickness, no more want. We will live as physical creations in a place that has been prepared for us and in a place that we'll never see the ugly effects of rebellion. But guys, there's a dying world out there that doesn't know that. We can say amen to that all day long. The season of trying to win people into the church through programs and light shows is over. COVID killed it. 
It separated people out of the church that were just there for the entertainment and it made the church sit up and ask, God, what are we here for? And I believe with every fiber of my being that God wants to use this church to impact this community more powerfully, more greatly than he ever has in every season. And that's not disrespecting the past. That's not ignoring the past. That's believing God. See, 120 years of art building, that's something. That's an experience. Can you imagine stepping back and looking at that thing? And him walking around the other side? But knowing that once you got off, something even greater needed to happen. Something even more important needed to happen. So here's what I want to do. We've just come through a two-year pandemic. I was talking to one of the guys in the sound team. said, I just had, a, had somebody I knew who just passed away. The opportunity for the church to rise up and speak life and just be the church is huge. huge. Nearly everyone in this place, you have been set in the ark of salvation. That's why you're here today. You made it through the storm. God has been faithful. Now it's our turn. If you're not inside the ark of salvation today, I encourage you and I invite you to come down to this altar in just a moment. I want to pray for you so that you can get in. I invite you, get in the ark of salvation. If you're struggling today with the process of obedience, if it's been a struggle, if there has been fear, if the enemy's been coming against you, keeping you from your church, keeping you from your call, I want to pray for you. I believe that the Holy Spirit has a word for you, and I believe that God wants to speak something new into your life. And if you're one who has been walking with God any length of time, I exhort you, move forward into the worship and fulfillment of the plan of God for your life. As Romans 12 calls us, offer yourself, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Why? This is my spiritual act of worship. Are you ready to say to Jesus today, Lord, I don't know what it's going to look like, I don't know what I might find. I'm ready to obey you. Come on, let's stand together. Lord, I'm ready to move into a new season of obedience to the plan that you have for my life. Just as that boat symbolized the transition from one season in Noah's life to another, it also made possible everything that was to follow. Lord, we've just been through and we're coming out of a very, very difficult season, not just in the world, but in the church. But God, I believe that you will use, because you are the God that uses all things and makes something good come out of them. I believe, Lord, that you will take this season of transition that we have just been through and use it to bring glory to your name and use it to bring people into the boat, into the ark, into your kingdom. The boat made possible everything that was to follow, but only because Noah moved forward in God's plan. And I want you to think about that. Only because Noah moved forward in God's plan are you sitting here today, standing here today. And I believe that if you will say yes to moving into the new season that God has for your life, that there's going to be somebody sitting here next to you very soon because God is going to use you to help bring that person into the ark of salvation. If you need to get in the boat, if you need to rededicate yourself to the process of obedience, if you need to just commit yourself to God, 
in a Romans 12 manner and say, God, I present myself before you as a living sacrifice. I'm going to ask the prayer team, if you'll just come and join me around this altar. We want to pray for you. Our elders, our prayer warriors, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you just stand in front of this, stand in front of this platform. We want to pray for you. Jesus said where two or three would touch something on earth, it will be done for them in heaven. And if you believe that and God is speaking to you, not me, but if the Holy Spirit is saying at any point today has said, that's for you. I want you just to step out of your seat. I want you to come down to this altar. I want you to give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his purposes today. Amen. Amen. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah.